Hey guys, welcome to episode 7 of The Tungsten Show and today we're going to be talking about the South American Society of Cinematographers um, processes of communicating with your DOP as a gaffer and how lions and crew don't combine. The Tungsten Show. So, Rick, um, thank you for coming. Um, obviously, you haven't gone far away, probably. Um, but um, did we... Well, I met you in the workshop with... Uh, what was that? Um, um, Reflectric. Reflectric, yes. yes. So I, I met you in Reflectric workshop. Um, how did you how did you know the reflectics and what brought you to this workshop? I mean, yeah, so I've always been interested in like new lighting technology. I always try to stay up to up to date and up to breath with like whatever's going on. Um, mm -hmm. so I think I got into it actually because of Ian Murray and a few other people just talking about the whole reflective system. And I think Dado does one and CLRS does okay. one. And I remember last year at Camry Marge or the year before Camry Marge, I met some of the guys. And yeah, it's just super interesting. So uh, yeah, that's how I kind of found out about it. And yeah, just trying to understand okay. new so, ways so basically, and smaller packages. Yeah, you you knew these guys from the show before year before nine two thousand nineteen. Yeah, I think it was two thousand and eighteen. At oh, because uh, yeah, I think it was then. I remember seeing um, the small little house setup. They had like a small little stage setup, and then they were bouncing yeah, yeah. little small little one inch reflectors or the the ten centimeters. And they. They do, they do stand out a lot, don't they? When you're looking around a show which is just full of tech and like all yeah. these, all this kind of complex, all this complex technology, and they're just as simple as a little reflector. It's, exactly, it, it, it's it's mind blowing. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Um, so, Rick, you are from uh, South Africa, is that correct? Yeah, correct. I'm actually in South Africa right now. Yeah, I'm actually still in South Africa right now. I went back during the pandemic, so I went oh, okay. to go just make sure. Yeah, so I'm actually Skyping or Zooming in from South Africa. But, like, I was in the process of moving to the UK. I had moved and was busy trying to find more work there and stuff. So Okay, so I, you are you are right not now. officially moved in the UK? I was in the process of moving. I just got in an agent. I just signed with Undercranked um, in the UK, and I was moving across, and I was... Um, in the process of moving, yeah. I think I tried to do, I mean, we can get onto this later, but I was basically trying to do as much as I could in the city I come from or the country I come from. And then once mm -hmm. I've done enough things I wanted to do, I was going to try and, and make okay. a big move. But I mean, I mean, I, I shot a music video and a short film there already and I had a few projects lined up, so I'm a bit bummed to not be in London right now. Yeah. But it's okay. So you're, you're, I'm guessing you're still keen to try and move over here once yeah, everything definitely. starts to settle down. Yeah, I think once... We can all travel. Who knows when that will be again? I mean, I guess we, we are recording this at the time of a, a global pandemic, but I guess when we can travel again, I would have I would have been there from the first of April again. I would have been back again. So mm -hmm. it's a bit of a bummer, and I I don't know. It it it's you just sometimes have to just let the universe do its thing and decide. Indeed. Have you had anything yeah. kind of crucial drop out on you then because of this? Yeah, another short film and a bunch of commercials. I had a whole bunch of commercials um, and I had a cool project in Dubai for the Dubai tourism like departments or like we were going to shoot some really cool stuff in Dubai and um, some other cool commercials fell through and it was going to be really cool. I was going to test some new gear, test some new lenses and those all kind of just disappeared. But I mean... There are worse things that could be happening. Indeed. Right well, we won't we won't we won't dwell on it. Um, 
so how, how did you become a member of the SASC? Kind of what's the background with that? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, I've been an SASC member, I think going almost a year now. I think by, by July this time, or July this year, I would have been a full uh, year member. But um, you have to be put forward by two other members and nominated. And then they kind of put you in front of a board. They ask you questions. They take a look at your work and they let you know like how they feel. I mean, it's, 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 it's an amazing organization. We have WhatsApp groups and we chat amongst each other and we talk and we try to keep each other our morale up. Um, it's no way the ASC or the like VSC. I mean, that is still the penultimate. I mean, I look at the ASC with like golden eyes, but it's an amazing organization. I'm really proud of what they're doing here. And we try um, to support uh, each other and we do um, yearly or yearly awards. Yeah. So how many, like how many members would there be to that? Like how does it compare to BSC or ASC? I think if I look on the website and this, I might stand corrected. I think there's about 60, 70 members um, currently right now. And then obviously some of okay. the old members do pass away and new members join, but it's currently mm -hmm. about 60 to 70. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's cool to be part of something, um, where we all support each other. Cause I sometimes find, um, I don't know if you guys feel this sometimes, but people try to hide secrets a lot. People try to hide their little secret source. So they try to hide what lenses or yeah. lighting they use. I've had weird experiences with people who have asked, um, who was your gaffer, for example, on a project. And then the DOP will say to me, Oh, I don't remember. And no. I find those things weird. Cause oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that is bizarre. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. So it's nice when you have, um, organizations and, Things like this, for example, podcasts where we share knowledge and we all try to help each other out. Yeah, I think it's, I it's do think, part of the community, isn't it? It's very crucial yeah. to do all this. Um, I mean, it's really how how people can grow quickly is by taking on that knowledge, and that's why mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the reasons we started the podcast because we believe really people can be growing quite quickly. And mm -hmm. at least with lighting, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of people shouting about kind of camera tech, but there's a, a lot less being said about lighting. So we're just trying to kind of get those answers out there and get the tips and tricks and hopefully just shine a light on it. Yeah. And that's so true. Yeah. Literally shine a light on it. I love that. <laughs> um, can I ask you, Rick, how long are you uh, as a cinematographer? Are you working? When was uh, the... So, yeah, I graduated in 2011. I went to the University of Johannesburg. So I've, worked, I've been working now for like, I think almost 10 years now. So it's been a while. I think, I don't know, I, I guess it's hard to... It's hard, it's, to kind it's, of hard to, it's hard to draw yeah. a line when did you become exactly. a cinematographer, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and when do you start calling yourself cinematographer? I think that was one of the biggest things I had to overcome and, and learn because when you start calling yourself a cinematographer, a DOP, then it, you take yourself seriously. Mm -hmm. and, and I know I used to be cautious about it, but then I, I kind of came to a realization that like, um, if I don't believe in myself and I don't have confidence in myself saying I'm a DOP, how should someone else trust me? Who else is going to give me money to do something if I feel nervous of myself? So. I got to a point where I was looking at my projects and I, I wasn't completely hating them. I wasn't completely saying they look like shit. So yeah. I got to that point. And then, yeah, so within the last 10 years, I've had that journey. But I didn't get to specialize in cinematography when I studied university. We, we pretty much were all-rounders. We learned how to edit. We learned how to direct. We learned how to shoot. You learned yeah. everything. Just general and, filmmaking. And I, yeah, yeah it's a very general filmmaking degree. And um, I appreciate that. When I look back now, um, I think it made me a stronger filmmaker and a stronger cinematographer. Yeah, I think for any department really to understand the other departments, it, re it really helps because it helps you understand what other people are going through and it helps you work around them and just appreciate the job they're doing, uh, especially for cinematography where, you know, there's a lot of weight in it when you're on set. 
Uh, I agree. Um, I mean... So going back to you started to work as in the industry since 2011 when you graduated. Mm. Um, when did you start to work in the UK? As I understand you, by the time you were in, in yeah, so. Georgia. Right. That's it. I've actually been to the UK so many times. I think I've been, jeez, okay. the amount of times I've been to London, I've been there for so many smaller jobs and I've traveled Europe a lot for work as well. And I've been there a few times. And every time I'd go, I'd kind of just kind of fall a bit more in love with the industry there or the culture and stuff. And then I have an EU passport. So whatever happens with Brexit, who knows what's going to happen. But obviously I've applied for right to remain and all those things. And um, the last, I think it's the last year, I've kind of had a, like a dedicated decision to kind of make my way there i also don't want to isolate what i've built here it's, it's difficult sometimes being in two places because i uh, i'm really of proud of the relationships and the work that i've built in south africa and i will i still have a south african agent and i don't ever want to leave that i've also still want to always be able to travel back home but i also want to try mm -hmm. and open up and 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 see what's out there and there's some amazing stuff the uk i mean there's some amazing projects coming out of, out of the uk and like in europe and I, I look at that stuff and i think like i would love to one day shoot on in pinewood studios or love to shoot on on an amazing stage there or work on more narrative in the uk mm -hmm. well i suppose it does it comes down to an opportunity for you to be able to choose the best projects yeah. kind of almost be a bit picky about mm -hmm. it and say you know i'll fly back but it has to be to this standard you know exactly i need i need, I need this level mm -hmm. um so you perhaps Perhaps if you're trying to move to the UK, taking the smaller stuff here, mm. but um, you know, doing the more substantial projects, yeah. like back home, and and maybe that's a bit of a dreamer mentality. But I really want to gun for that. That's really the goal I'm going for now is being able to kind of mm -hmm. sail both both industries and and be able to go back there and then go there and then choose projects. Because there's a lot of relationships and directors I have in South Africa. We have a lot of Afrikaans short films I work on, or um, there's a lot of commercials I work on here with directors that I've built. I've spent years investing in those relationships. I don't want, I don't want to lose that stuff. So I will always be loyal to those people, but at the same time, I'm also hungry for what else is out there. And I think I'll never know if I don't leave. If you stay in like, it's not a small industry. We have a healthy industry here, but it's, it's not, it's not the UK industry, for example. But yeah, mm -hmm. so. Um, so, I mean, something that we, um, we're trying to ask more really is with um with new technologies and i suppose thinking maybe more on the the lighting side of side of things how is that kind of influencing people and who's in the industry and who's able to kind of gain expertise yeah um you know how, how do you see that as affecting the younger generation i, I definitely think for example, I would consider myself a DSLR generation. I definitely think the 5D helped steer me in the right direction. So just from a camera mm -hmm. point of view, I think the, 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 the way technology is trickling down to cameras is amazing. I mean, a lot of us wouldn't have never like afforded to shoot on film back in the day. So now we can pretty much pick up a camera and a Blackmagic 6K or 4K or whatever, Pockets and, and GH5s. All these cameras have kind of come out and this technology is all coming out and it's it's beautiful. I mean, you can shoot beautiful things. So from a camera point of view, I really think it's cool what's, what it's allowed us to kind of like do as, as, as young cinematographers and, and growing up and stuff. From a lighting point of view, I would say it's amazing how LED technology has trickled down. I think that is one of the most exciting things yeah, still yeah. to this point. And, and there's a lot of bad Chinese like knockoff, like LED technology also comes through and no, no, no hate towards anyone. But like there's a lot of stuff that comes through that's, that's not good. It doesn't have good CRI. It doesn't have great tech in mm -hmm. it. But 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 that's because there's so much of it now. So it's amazing how LED stuff has come as has kind of come down. Um, I, I think that's exciting, and I think that's become affordable. 
I think it's made things more pleasant on set as well. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to light a set with only tungsten. I mean, the show is called The Tungsten Show, but tungsten has a yeah. beautiful quality. It, it, it's amazing light, but it's hot. It, it's, it's hard. It's it hard is. to tear down. It, it makes actors uncomfortable. You're wiping down sweat often. So, especially yeah, in studios. It's hard to tame. Yeah, especially in studios. I mean, I've done some cool car shoots and stuff where you, you're hanging space lights all above and you've got 10Ks and 5K tungstens. And it looks beautiful, but it, you walk in there, it's like an oven, and you and you're drawing a lot of power. Mm -hmm. It's not efficient. It's 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 beautiful, but it's not it's not always efficient. Indeed, I hope that answered a bit of that question. I went on a definitely. I assume you you choose the newer technology over the older technology, right? Yes and no. What would you prefer? You know. <laughs> oh no, no, that's a brilliant question. I mean, I've done period pieces. Or I've tried to do stuff where I just use natural light, or use bounce, or I'll use tungsten. Um, if I'm using something that calls for it, I'll definitely use LED. I'll use newer technology. I think it's choosing what's right for the project. I think that should always be the conversation we yes, have. Yes, of course. I don't know if you guys agree, but it needs to be. No, you are. You're very right there. You you can't force something on it. I mean, I've watched films. Uh, what was the Darkest Hour? Apparently, they only use tungsten fixtures. They only use like pretty much warm lights, and and you can see it. You can see it in the the way like the skin tones render. You can see it the the rays across the rooms. And I think you need to choose what's right for your project. Also, sometimes you also choose what's right for the budget. We can't always afford mm -hmm. big lights, and sometimes you're just gaff taping RGB tubes against a, a rooftop or you're hiding yeah. stuff away. And sometimes that's the edge you can have, yeah. uh, kind of the younger generation can have, is they are willing to kind of think smart mm -hmm. and that's sometimes thinking cost effective. And it may not be, you know, it may not be the produce the best look, mm -hmm. but you're so close and you can save that money. So therefore you can be competitive. Yeah. 100%. I agree 100%. And you can put some of that budget towards something else, towards art direction. You've, exactly. You can put more lamps in shot or more practicals in shot. You could help out your art department, which only helps you because there's no point getting all the mm -hmm. toys and then you look at your set and your set looks like measly and you're like, wow, what am I actually shooting? Exactly. So There's no point having the 10K without the actual stand. Exactly. <laughs> like you, you, you've, got, you've got to spread the, spread, spread the cost. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. I agree 100%. And, and it's, it's all about like, it, it, you have to be a team player sometimes. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. we, we as cinematographers get a bit self-absorbed and a bit like, I don't know, we, we think it's all about the image, but there's many parts to this and it's, it's, there's many facets to, to this and you have to be a team player in my, in my opinion, at least. And have you got any um, kind of, uh, when, with, when it comes down to lighting, any kind of units, like do you, do you prefer like Kino? Do you like sometimes use Dado? Or do you have anything which you would say, oh, you know what, add that to the list? Yeah. You know, when you're creating your kit list, is there something you almost feel should be there in terms of lighting equipment or something that you always come back to? Yeah, that that's a great question. So often, because I, I do a lot of commercials and I do a lot of narrative and I do music videos, so mm -hmm. each one has a bit of a different budget firstly and then different kind of um, requirements or packages. So I always try to have a few tungstens in a small package if it's 650s or um, two, like a 2K blondes or 1Ks. But I do find myself, this is so funny, but I find myself always asking for a projector lens or attachment on a data. I don't know if you guys ever use those projector lenses, but I really do enjoy yeah, yeah. how you can flare the lens sometimes. You can use them to pinpoint to put a bit of stripe or that kind of light across something. Um, so datas are great. For some reason, I never got into Kinos and I never got into fluorescents. I've used them and like two or three gaffers mm -hmm. I work with own because I do find them a little bit more old school. But I think I was always let down by the the punch, the actual like the actual output of, of Kino flows and fluorescence. So I kind of always got over that. Yeah. So 
I love how they look. They look beautiful on skin tone, and they look great if you if you make like a bit of a belly. You know, if you like kind of like just put like a bit of diffusion and you mm-hmm. bellow it. I find that looks beautiful just overhead or just out of frame. But I never really got into Kino flows, and I feel a bit guilty of that. But I guess it doesn't really matter. I think LED has taken over now. I think what are the new Kinos mm-hmm. called? I think I've seen like those um, the selects. Yes, those um, are the freestyles. The freestyle and and the color science that's coming with them. I, I've been mind blown. Like how you can choose camera profiles for your lighting. That's been yeah. mind blowing. That's like the biggest awakening I've had in a long time. I think um, going back to the projector lenses, I think that's something which uh, certainly. A conversation we had when we met was kind of about drops of light and how important that is because having your kind of your punchy uh, key is one thing, but being able to actually add those accents is mm. something that really it's that next level of creativity that you you know I that I think really brings a lot of skill. Yeah, I agree, and it's a different way of lighting, and and I still haven't quite wrapped my head around it. I was gonna actually when I was in the UK, I was meant to order a secondhand set. There was a demo set at the BSC Expo, and I put forward and oh, I spoke cool. to one of the guys, and then I actually never picked it up, which I feel a bit of a bummer about because I would've been able to play with it right now during lockdown. Um, oh, that would've been great. I know, I know, because I've done a few pack shots while I've been in in, in quarantine, which has been quite cool. So we'll mm-hmm. talk about that later, but. There's, there's something I still really want to harness that light, but I need to get my head around it. I, I mean, I know I got to hang out, hang out with you guys at that Reflectric um, workshop, but I still want to get my head completely around it. I understand the strengths of it. I understand those things, but I think mm-hmm. I'm still waiting for that literal light bulb moment to go, oh yeah, that's as easy as this. You just tap off all that, but I'll get there. I think once I have a set and I get to play with it, I think I'll get it a bit more. You need yeah. a practical experience, I guess, on an actual yeah. job to really get a sense of it. I agree. And actually hit a brick wall with a moment and go, oh, wow, how do you, because normally what you do is you literally are just moving lights around or you're juggling. But I think once you, like you said, you're so right. Once you, you have that experience with it and you, and you overcome an obstacle, you'll, you'll understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's about, it's about kind of understanding that three dimensional space mm-hmm. and going, okay, well, you know, if that's a drop of light going there, you know, we're not just putting a, you know, a second source coming through another window. Mm. It doesn't just need to go in the same direction, but how's that light going to interact with the environment? Yeah. Put put that slit of light on the wall, or is it bounced off a vase? Um, That's true. Yeah. It, Morgan yeah, is... I still find it quite hard, to be honest. <laughs> I still find, like, I find... Sorry, I, I don't want to jump backwards. That's but fine. Like, when, what I've seen with this whole reflector system, I still find it very sharp. I still find it very harsh. So my instinct, every time I've gotten to play with it or when I hang out with you guys, is I would still want to walk a four by four frame in between. That's like my instinct. And I don't know if it's maybe, mm-hmm. I just, it, it just feels like it's still just want to take a bit of that edge off. And I, I think that's something I still want to play with or experiment putting a bit of diffusion over an actual like reflector. I don't know. I want to try yeah. and just mess with stuff. I'd love to play with more stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that, it's just practice makes perfect yeah. with really, isn't it? Um, I mean, you just being able to use the new kit just allows you to be able to, you've got to use it once and have a mess about and then you go okay brilliant i know when that's going to be useful yeah. and then the shoot comes around and you're like okay that piece that i tested back a year ago it now's the time yeah. now's the time you're right you're right um rick do you prefer to work on drama projects or commercials that's a that's a great question um i do a lot of commercials um i've just worked on a short film now recently that's just come out i just posted on instagram today but um, I like kind of navigating what I said earlier is I love navigating between the two of them. So I do really enjoy na- doing like narrative, but also enjoy doing commercials. 
and I think both have pros and cons. And I know that sounds like a, a bit of a vague answer, but with commercials, and the reason why I say this is commercials, you get to test out new gear really relatively soon. You get to test out new mm-hmm. lenses. You get the money, you get the budget, which allows you to play with this with this gear. But then you get to take what really works and what's essential, and you get to apply that to your narrative and your project with less money. That's how I find it. So, for example, I got to use the Venice last year um, quite soon. As soon as it came out, we got one quite early in South Africa, and I got to use it on a few banking commercials. And what I realized is if I could apply that to, like, maybe short films or projects where we could drop the amount of lights and fixtures we need and shoot a little bit more at a higher ISO, shoot base ISO 2,500 on the Venice possibly, it means you could get a better camera but then drop your lighting package. I know that sounds terrible. But the, you could you could kind of use the, the pros of this camera to apply to 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 other things and vice versa. I mean, um, it goes both ways. But I definitely enjoy what I learn from commercials and I apply it to 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 short films and narrative. Um, but if I had to give a real answer, I'd love to shoot more narrative. I really want to tell more stories. Well, That's what really has soul and merit. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of brings us on to one of the questions we've got here is. Um, do you like to light for your camera or do you like to light for set? You know, do you light yeah. for your eyes or do you light for what you're kind of what you're seeing? Yeah. Do you light for a master? Or... Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, and you always get told light, light, light for the room, light for the space. And I still do that. But I find sometimes on commercials, you can't. Sometimes you are lighting for a pack mm-hmm. shot or you're lighting for a person or you're lighting for, for a place. Um, I've also worked with directors who have taught me a hard lesson, light for the space or light for the room because... I've worked with some directors who are notorious for changing their minds. And you learn that very quickly that you think you're going to be like yeah. everyone on the recce, you'll go on the scouts or the recce and you're like, cool, we're just looking at this portion. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're never going to look towards that. <laughs> and then on the day they're like, oh yeah, that looks great. And you're like, I didn't plan for that. So, and you, mm-hmm. you're completely looking into a blown out window or you're looking into something you didn't want to. So I've learned to try light for more of a space, but there are times given where I know that I'm going to have someone hitting a mark or it's, it's, it's a pack shot or someone's wearing a piece of item you have to see if it's on a commercial. Um, I've learned to also light for, 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 for spaces and, and for people. So you have to kind of know for both. And I think, I think you get a domino effect from director to DOP. Yeah. If the director says, I'm happy, you know, the DOP has got to consider like, oh, well, if he's happy, do I need to do much more? Yeah. And then it, from DOP to gaffer, if DOP says, I'm happy, the gaffer needs to just you know, stop what they're doing. It's yeah. like, okay, brilliant. Walk, walk away. <laughs> walk away. This looks great. That's a great comment. I think that's a brilliant comment. I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's tricky because it's like, what happens if they're happy and you aren't happy? Like, what do you do? Do you? Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a slap in the face to to keep pushing and saying, wait, we can do better. Because then you kind of... Exactly. You, yeah, you, you're flexing in front of a director and you're showing you're not really like, they're not really the boss. So, exactly. How far can you push yeah, it, really? Exactly. That's true. Um, Rick, I can see that you are also using a lot of social media and you're really good with that. And also you are now... Um, your South America Society of Cinematographers accounts administrator, is that right? Yeah, I, I got to, so I'm a big proponent or big fan of like um, Instagram. I love I love Instagram. I love the platform in many ways. Um, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of, uh, it's also very superficial, but I do think it's another platform for us as cinematographers and for visual artists to to post our work. So I would, I think mm-hmm. it's a bit silly when I, when I, when I meet cinematographers who aren't posting their work or other visual artists and, and even like it's technicians or anyone who's a visual person, you should be posting your work there. It's just a free platform, basically to put your stuff out. So I use it as another platform to post my new work or post behind the scenes. Um, I try to keep it real. I try to show like real elements of my life or my work or what I struggled with. I try to do lessons 
And then recently, um, I think it was in January or February, I was asked to run um, the South African Society, the SAC's um, Instagram account. And that was cool. I mean, I try to give a lesson once a week. I try to just um, share some of my learnings and I was quite honest. I spoke about some of the mistakes I've made or um, I spoke about the hardest lessons in terms of eye light or, or lighting skin tones, which I get asked a lot about. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just got a little meeting request. Oh, it's from you guys. Um, I got, uh, I get asked about lighting darker skin tones a lot. Um, so I shared a bit of knowledge about that. Um, yeah, it was cool to, to guest host the SAC um, account. And I've actually been asked to become a board member for the SAC, which is pretty cool. So I'm, I'm currently a board member now, which is uh, an honor. So that's pretty cool. That's great. And uh, well, that, le- that, that leads us into uh, one of the other questions yeah. we had was what your most ridiculous story on set was. Because I think that's something which people love to hear because when they make a, make a mistake, they think, oh, this is the end of my career. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's reasonable because a lot of people make mistakes. And especially when they're growing, you know, you make a mistake yeah. and that, you know, that's how you learn. It might not be only about your mistakes, Rick. Maybe you have seen other people done something ridiculous. Um, yeah, anything, anything that kind of experience. stands out yeah. in your memory. I mean, I think we've all had that. There's that always that oh shit moment. Where is the camera rolling? I think we've all had that moment. I don't know if you guys have, but where you're like, I've had it happen once or twice before, and you, the director's like, that was a good take, and then you look, you're like, fuck, we didn't roll on that one. So I've had that happen before where I thought it was just a, a rehearsal. So I think we've all had that. And you, you let that happen once in your career and it probably never happens again or you try not to. Um, mm-hmm. I've had, I have a weird story, but I don't know if it's, it's not so much oh shit moments. This is a really scary moment. We were, we were filming in the Kruger Park a few years back and um, we were filming for a hotel for a game, like a game lodge. And we were filming one of the actors throw a log into the fire. And as he threw the log into the fire, the sun was going down. It was really late. It was just me, the director and the producer. And I think we had a, someone holding a poly board, a bit of a reflector. And um, as they threw the board in or the, the, the log into the fire, we heard like this deep growl, like a like this really like deep growl. And we turned around and we saw there was a, like two lionesses, like two lions, female lionesses looking at us like on their haunches, probably about 10 meters wow. away from us. I know. This wow. is, <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. So we stopped and I froze. And I just remember thinking, is that that's that's a fucking lion looking at us. <laughs> and luckily, luckily we had, um, the game ranger was with us. So he stood in front of all of us. He pushed forward and I actually just froze. I had the camera and I just stopped recording and just stood still. <laughs> and uh, the game ranger just walked in front of us and he put his arms in front of all of us and he pushed us backwards. He says, no one run. Uh, and he just maintained eye contact and he pushed us all towards the vehicle. And the vehicle must be in about 15, 20 kilometers, not 20 kilometers, 15, 20 meters away from us. So about 20 meters away. And he was pushing us and telling us not to run. And then sadly, I don't remember who it was. I think it was the producer. Or, no, it wasn't the producer. It was someone else from clients. Um, she ran and she ran from the rest of us. And the lion did like oh, a bit fuck. of a, yeah, no, the lion did a bit of a mock charge. And then the ranger luckily said, he like screamed at the lion saying no. And the lion froze and he froze and they were looking at each other. And the game ranger just kept pushing us all back towards the vehicle. And we climbed into the vehicle and no one got hurt. Thank God. Um, but I just remember thinking, and I got into vehicle, and I remember thinking that was the scariest thing I think I've ever been part of. It's wow. like I could have been killed by a lion. And it was just because we were so in the zone filming this magical scene with these embers coming from the fire and they look like beautiful bokeh. And we, we spent a long time shooting that. And then lions kind of got interested and wanted to see what we were doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that was a random wow. story. But it, that's, it's, I think that's the best story I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we can say that is the best, best story so far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, it's just that amazing will how never, we yeah 
That will <laughs> no, never happen just... in London. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe a fox might come up to you guys. Um, but I mean, it's just it's just amazing how self like how absorbed we get into what we when we're crafting. We all get like so sucked into this, and we and we and we're losing light, and we're doing this, and then we think the world can't touch us, and sometimes the world is very much stalking you and approaching you. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing how into it you can get. Yeah, it really, and how how. How far into it you can get and just, like, if that adrenaline hits, you, I mean, you're, you're so far from being in that environment. Yeah, you really are. You, you're almost disconnected. You're in a bubble. You're, you're totally mm. in a bubble. And you, and you just, you, you'll do anything to make the shot work sometimes, which I think is a good and a bad thing. Oh, that, that was a good one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, can I ask you, Rick, um, now it's a bit interesting question you can you can take it as you like but my question would be what would you choose as a you know as a first choice lighting or camera mm, let's say de in department wise maybe you know in general yeah. camera or lighting ah, that's a brilliant question and i feel like either answer is a sin i feel like it's a <laughs> just say what i think what comes up comes yeah, up in your I, mind i would i would actually i would because I'm going to be at their own detriment to myself. You see, glass is always, I'm a big fan of lenses. I'm a big fan of glass. I love anamorphic glass. I love lenses. I love vintage lenses because I find they have a lot of soul and a lot of character. Mm -hmm. But you can always put filters in front. You can always rub Vaseline. You can always use a cracked filter in front of a lens. You can always add character. Um, so I guess I'm going to have to say lighting. I think you're going to need a good lighting. Or just be smart at the time of day you shoot. If you, if mm -hmm. you know you're in a north-facing window or you know where the sun's going to set and you keep everything backlit for half the day and then you turn around and everything's backlit again and you have two suns which is the way we do things sometimes i love shooting like that i try i try always make the best picture no matter which way i look um so i would say lighting if i had to lighting okay, okay. That's, the that's the correct that's the correct <laughs> answer <laughs> it still feels like a sin because i love lenses i love glass i do i do i, I obsess about lenses as well so <laughs> do you do you do you tend to rent equipment for jobs or do you have your own stuff uh lighting i don't own much lighting i have um, i'm using a pavo tube right now so i'm using this nanguang um pavo the pavo light tubes um so i have some led stuff um i used to have some aperture stuff growing up i don't have any more of the led stuff but i i rent a lot of lighting or i allow the production to rent lighting um mm -hmm. camera wise i own a few lenses i own some contact slices i own a red with two other people I own a red uh, dragon or red scarlet um and then i've got some lomo um spherical lenses not anamorphics but i have some lomo super speeds which i'm building up so certain things i find are a great investment but then some things i find are a bit tricky um so i hope that answers the question but i think lenses for me will always be a good investment so i think glasses mm -hmm. It's a good place to go. I mean, I know we have this issue coming up now with, with large format and full frame, but I think Super 35 will have a place for a long time. And I think we'll always, I mean, we people started reshooting Super 16 or 8mm, like Super 8. So I think it, it might be a look thing, but I think Super 35 is still going to be around for a long time. Yeah, as long, I mean, there's, there's so many lenses out there and the, as long as there is lower budget films, then there's always going to be demand for that. Yeah. Totally. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a shame to not use certain glass. I know certain glass covers large format. Like I was, um, what was I listening to the other day? Someone, I think the, there's ShareGrid. I think they're doing their full frame test that comes out um, next month. And they were talking about certain things like the Cook Pancros or the Super, I think they call them Super Cooks or Pancros. 
Um, mm-hmm. They cover from 40 mil or 50 mil onwards, they cover a large format. So that means technically you could still be using all these super 35 sets, but only from their 50 mil or 75 mil onwards, which is mm-hmm. amazing because you still don't want to lose that look. Cook Pancros have this amazing um, kind of swirly, weird bokeh on the sides, it's a reminiscence of anamorphic. So they have a bit of a, a bit of texture on the edges, which I really enjoy. Um, my Lomos mm-hmm. also have that. I've got a set of Lomos that it looks like someone's taken a paintbrush on the sides and it's almost like done a bit of a swirly Russian kind of thing. And I, and I love that. I think it, it adds texture. I, I love I love weird stuff in my glass. I don't want to have things that are boring and vanilla, unless it's the right project. If you're doing something clinical, it should look clinical. So, Good answer. Okay. Um, so I guess for different projects, you would also choose different equipment and for specific projects yeah. you you're most you're most likely gonna rent something anyway right yeah yeah definitely i mean it it, it depends i mean there's times where i bring uh, i have a panel van and i put a bunch of gear in a van and i'll just bring as much as i can if i have textiles i'll bring like grid cloth or i'll bring negative i've got a set of flags i keep um those and things have gotten me out of jail a lot yeah probably i shouldn't go to go too much into camera but you said you own your own camera and lenses right yeah. So whenever you go on job, you all, do you always tend to use yours, or or do you just choose for what's best for project? I again, I I try not be a selfish DOP. I try to choose what's best for every project. Be it okay. lighting, if you want to go back to lighting, but for camera as well, I try to use the right camera for the right job. I don't think you should. Mm-hmm. I never. I don't want to point fingers, but I know cinematographers who just bring their same kit to every job, and I, and I understand why financially it makes sense. If you have to look at the work and the art of it, you're not doing you're not doing the right thing for the job. You need to do what's right for the job, and that's again mm-hmm. lighting or camera. You need to choose what will, what's going to help tell the story better. Sometimes you don't have that option, and that's why I have a red. I owned a red. Well, I own a red with two other people, and that thing has gotten me out of jail so many times. Sometimes we're shooting a short film, we don't have enough money. I'll be like, guys, I own a red with two other partners. Can we make a deal and we'll bring the red for like half price, or I'll do the red for like twenty percent of the price. And then that's gotten me out of moments where I can still have a decent looking image. Um, Even if I'm not a big fan of a red for a certain project, it's still better than shooting on whatever else. Yeah. Um, How does lighting style affect your camera and lens choice? Mm, That's a great question. I mean... Does it? Yeah, no, I don't know. It, 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 It depends, I guess. You could... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it affects how you how you shoot some things. I guess in terms of if a lens flares or not, if you want to flare into the lens, if you don't want to. So certain lenses, I mean, if you're shooting anamorphic and you you want to not have be overwhelmed by all the flares, you wouldn't really want to light a certain way or backlight stuff too much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tricky question. I, I guess you can have many different lighting styles with many different camera setups and lenses. I wouldn't really ever push one away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a style which you kind of bias to? Um, you know, do you do you like to use kind of more hard light? Um, you know, do you like to backlight things? What's the, what? Where do you kind of sit with a kind of lighting yeah. style? Okay, that's that's a cool question. So I, I'm definitely a fan of softer stuff. I normally find soft stuff looks great. But if I'm shooting a horror or a sci-fi or something a bit stronger, then I'll go hard light. And I think mm-hmm. hard light has a place as well. It's all about angles and all about where you bring the light from. Um, Backlights, I'm still don't know if I enjoy doing backlighting. I, I find whenever I do it, it looks be, it looks better. It always brings some, something out. But sometimes it's not realistic. And what I what I've noticed mm-hmm. in my work as I'm getting old and starting to find my voice as a cinematographer, which I think will still be many years. But I, I notice that when I bring in a backlight or bring in too much light, 
um, it looks too lit and it, it feels like a commercial. And, and there's a reason why commercials look the way they do because we overlight, you get given like half an hour per shot and we get time to, to craft. And I overlight a shot sometimes on a commercial and I realize I must take it down a bit. And then my own learnings is, as I've learned with narrative, if I bring in too much light, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. It feels like you've overlit mm-hmm. a scene. So a backlight is still a point of contention for me. And I know some cinematographers swear by it and some don't. Um, I don't know. Also rules. I, I, I know like Deacons will do certain rules where he keys from the same side as his backlight. So it really just depends on what you're trying to do. I've tried to apply that to some of my work and you do feel it. It definitely is a, a look. It's definitely a look. So. Mm-hmm. Um, do you work with same gaffers on your jobs? Or do you tend to choose different type of crew on every job? So um, obviously I work in Johannesburg a lot and I work in Cape Town a lot. And then I was obviously in London, I was working a lot. And I was trying to have, I try to have a group of gaffers or groups or focus pullers, depending on each department. But for, for example, gaffers, I'll have four in Cape Town, four in Joburg, four in London. And I'll try to choose who's best for the job. Again, going like same as lighting, try to choose who, who fits the job best and whose personality works the best as well. And, and who understands what I'm trying to do. So, and the only reason I have more than one person is because sometimes people aren't available and you can't yeah, put all course. your eggs in one basket. You can't just trust one person because if they are, eventually they'll also be scooped up by other cinematographers and DOPs and you, you, you kind of lose that relationship. So uh, I try to choose who's best for the job and see who's available as well. And w- what type of gaffers do you prefer to work with? Is there, yeah, is, a specific... is there like a personality trait, which, you know, yeah. for our listeners, or knowledge or something you prefer over maybe that's a, something yeah, you don't? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I've learned over time, I really enjoy team players. So I enjoy people who are, if, for example, if you're on a shoot and we're all, on it, we're all in this together, don't try not be negative. I mean, sometimes I know lunch runs late or we are struggling to get up a flight of stairs or you don't always have the tools you have. So I try to get people who play well with others. I want to try to get that and aren't, aren't too negative. Mm-hmm. And I actually enjoy people who suggest ideas. I enjoy my gaffer coming up to me. It's the same way as I, I want. I think the director appreciates how I do it. I don't, you don't undermine someone. You, if you have an idea, go tell the director, but you don't, you don't go say it in front of the client and the agency or in front of everyone. You don't just undermine them. So it's the same mm-hmm. with the gaffer. I enjoy if a gaffer comes up to me and goes, I know we're doing this and you want to achieve this. Did you maybe think of it doing it this way? And I'll be like, oh, I was so busy thinking of the blocking or how we're going to track in. I didn't think of lighting that way. That's a brilliant idea. Or... Or, or vice versa. Maybe I'm like, guys, this isn't working. What do you guys think? What, what, what do you, what, what does he or she want to maybe help me with? Or what would they, how would they do this? So you would definitely yeah. value creativity in the gaffer. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a lot sometimes as a cinematographer. You have so much on your plate. You, you're thinking of, of a thousand things in that given moment. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the lens. I'm thinking of this. I'm thinking of the blocking. I'm thinking of the next scene we're going to. And, and to have someone who's got your back and, and the gaffer's thinking like, how can I make their life easier? How can we make this look beautiful? Also, something I've learned is I actually enjoy gaffers who go look at the monitor sometimes. I mean, I know a lot of old school gaffers don't, but I've also noticed a lot of younger gaffers do. And I appreciate that. I enjoy if someone comes to look at the monitor because then they mm-hmm. see what I'm seeing. It's all it's all well and said looking at, at by eye and that looks amazing. And if you, if you know your stuff, it's amazing. I try light by eye initially, but I still go look at a monitor. And I don't mind someone looking at a monitor with me saying, oh, I can see why he's trying to bring in a bit of negative full here because there's no shape to the face. What can we do to bring this in? So Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm, I mean, that's interesting because I do think 
cinematographers vary with how they like that creative input from from gaffers. Um, And I think it definitely seems that younger cinematographers are more open to this kind of almost this collaboration they but but it's also important from both sides well from the side of the um the gaffer that they have to be able to suggest it and take a blunt no and just be okay be okay with that because it's just you know you're making this suggestion but at the end of the day you're not the boss the cinematographer is the boss and you know if they say no you know suggestions made that just goes out the window and you know you continue with the plan I agree. Um, does it um, does it change? Have you seen maybe that working with different gaffers changes the way you light, or maybe the way the picture comes out? Has the have you have ever this type of yeah, experience when you expect definitely. maybe something like that, and then by the end of the day you look at the picture and you see, okay, I guess because my gaffer decided this, this is the looks mm-hmm. a bit differently. Maybe it's better or worse. You know. Does it yeah. change? Does it affect your style? How gaffer decides? Definitely, definitely. I've definitely felt that I've had that happen before. With where certain gaffers won't gel an HDMI or they won't um, balance the light the way I would, but they'll they'll try something as simple as as someone walking with a poly. And this is something I try always. I talk about because sometimes you're you're in the meat of it, especially if I'm handheld and I'm operating. And some people, this is such a simple example, but people bounce from below or bounce from above, and technically you should be bouncing from above. That's my opinion, and I try to do that a lot. Because the light technique would either be bouncing off the sky or the ambience, and it's coming from there as well. Um, it's not always natural bouncing from below, unless it's the the right surface. If it's if it's a tiled floor or cement or whatever. But I try bounce from 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 below. I mean from above and not from below. But different gaffers will do whatever's right in the moment, and they're just trying to catch the light. And mm. I felt that sometimes when you if you can get those rules across to your gaffer and you explain what you like, and they learn very quickly. That's also really helpful. If someone understands what I like and they know I don't, there's a reason why I don't like bouncing from below. It's such a simple thing, but I, I notice it when I'm watching back. I'm like, it also helps bouncing from above because there's a catch light in the eyes now. Now there's little little eye lights, and that helps a lot as well. That 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 connects you to a character. So something as simple as that, just having someone on the same page as you helps. Mm-hmm. Do you? Do I'm just gonna you take have... this light down a little bit. Sorry. That's fine. Have you had um, um, maybe a situation when Gaffer wouldn't be available to speak with you, and then you may be interacting with Sparks more? Or your best boy, yeah. or you know, um, how I'm does this? Yeah, go sorry, on. No, sorry, I wait for you to finish. Sorry, I lost you there for That's a second. Fine. Oh, so how does that affect? Have you seen this experience, and how does that mm. affect? And how do you do you feel comfortable doing that, or what, what yeah. do you prefer? <laughs> I recently just worked on a short film I've just posted on Instagram called The Stranger, and um. I didn't have a gaffer for the short film. We we couldn't find a gaffer and we couldn't afford someone to actually do it. Oh, but wow. I had two yeah, but I had two junior guys who were so keen just to learn. So they basically were sparks and mm-hmm. we use a lot of natural light. I showed them how to basically the one dude would always have a big poly or a silver or something just to walk in a bit and the other guy always had a bit of negative. And that's pretty much how by we shot for three days, it's a twelve minute short film. But by the end of the second or the start of the second day, after the first day of just learning that, they, they understood what I wanted. So if I was always from here, I enjoy short side keying for this movie so or the far side key. So I'll try always bring the light from that side. And they started learning that they should stick to my right shoulder or this guy should stick to my left shoulder. And you started we started working that little dance around each other. And it worked. And 
And these guys, they didn't have much experience, but they were willing. And I appreciate that when people are willing to learn mm-hmm. and, and just and understand. So I've had many times on jobs where some gaffers are just, that many many gaffers just like following orders, which I think is also cool. But I also enjoy, like I said, enjoy when people want to put input and, and offer ideas and suggestions. Always keen to learn. That's the... Yeah. Rule number one <laughs> in the film industry. I think I think all of us. I think all of us will, will will die learning. I think to to master light. I think takes a lifetime, and I think Indeed. it's going to take us a long time. I think that's the quote of the day, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, where do you see yourself in ten years? You know, where do you see yourself? Um, is there a kind of a speciality uh, you want to focus on in terms of your kind of lighting? Um, where, where do you see yourself? Mm, that's a sheesh, that's a brilliant question. I'll try to put it out into the universe and maybe the universe will listen. Um, I would obviously, I would love to have BSC behind my name one day. I mean, that would be an amazing thing. So maybe that'll happen or ASC even. Fingers crossed. Um, I'd love to be shooting. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed or knock on wood. Um, but um, I would love to have that. I mean, uh, besides those things, I'd love to just be shooting stuff that makes me really happy. So, I mean, I would love to be shooting stuff like I would love to shoot more science fiction or more narrative I'd love to shoot more Netflix stuff or whatever the next 10 years brings. It might be the next big studio, but I want to do more narrative. I want to be shooting stuff that matters to me a lot more mm-hmm. and be able to choose projects. And yeah, just, I, I really do love what I do. And I know we, we're all very fortunate to do what we do. And I think it's a scary time for us right now. Um, and I'm trying to still cling on to that hope that we have as filmmakers. And I know we will overcome this um, and the industry will have a few changes and stuff, but I just really want to be doing what I what I love, and I think I'm so grateful to find this, find cinematography and find filmmaking. So I want to keep doing that. So hopefully I'm still doing this, and I have a few more letters behind my name. <laughs> well, it is. It's about the creativity, and it's about just yeah. how lucky we are to be, you know, paid to be creative and paid to create beautiful images. That's that's what we live for, really. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think sometimes we take it for granted. I sometimes even like, I look at it and I'm like, I know this is a commercial selling mayonnaise or I don't know, dish liquid or whatever, but like it, you're still getting paid to make that look really good. And, and, and it, it's, it's a point of contention because sometimes you're like selling stuff you wouldn't really buy. This is commercials, mm-hmm. for example, but you're still getting paid to create and paid to light and paid to, to paint with light. And that's, that's a very special thing. And I think that's rare. So it really is. It's yeah. something that Ian Murray says, paint with light. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm a big Ian Murray fan. I think he's amazing. He's, he's super yeah. talented. <laughs> well, I do. I do. Th- I do think there seems to be this kind of. There's this new generation of kind of social uh, kind of DOPs and um, yeah, DOPs really that are looking at social media as this platform, this really powerful platform, and they're they're using that to power commercials and power. You know how the world sees them, and I think it's—I yeah. think it's a really exciting time for you know growth and exposure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can see why the industry is weird, and and I always felt this growing up as well in the industry. Like there was a lot of this magic hidden away, or this mysteriousness to being a cinematographer. This magicness, like like if you look at like film, for example, you wouldn't really know. People wouldn't know what they were shooting. Like the clients wouldn't at least know. They wouldn't know. Or the agency wouldn't know until they got mm-hmm. the rushes back. So it's very much this amalgamation between the director and the DOP and they were working on the camera. And then whatever came out just came out because you're shooting film. But like, I feel like it, it's also cool what's happened. I feel it's 
I feel I think we should embrace that it's it's become more accessible and 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 there's so much information out there like we're doing podcasts or we're watching YouTube videos or we why not help people and why not share I don't know just we should all get better if anything it'll just make the competition more and competition is good sometimes to get better and, and push each other because I don't know it shouldn't you shouldn't you should you should always share your knowledge you shouldn't just withhold it I think it's it's a selfish thing to, to maybe withhold it's, it's a bit yeah. of a sin. I think that's no, one I, of the I, parts I, I, of the industry that's changing now with the new generation. People are sharing yeah. the knowledge more than it, they used to. And the information do, is out there now. I do think what's interesting as well is this chain, uh, this sharing of knowledge with when you're lighting something as well on how sometimes things can happen by accident. And in the past, I feel like people may have just taken that and gone, well, I don't want to tell anybody because I want them to assume that it's happened from my amazing skills but in fact you know sometimes sometimes things happen and the image looks amazing and you just step back and go yeah we'll go with that um (laughs) and (laughs) social media is really kind of showing that and showing that sometimes the most bizarre things can fix a problem and maybe that's you know maybe that is an option now yeah, definitely. And and I think that's a brilliant example. I think that was great. I mean, it, it just to maybe remove a bit of the mystery from it. I mean, someone told me recently that cinematographers should be mysterious. And I was like, I get that to a degree. It's cool to, to look up to our heroes. But everyone is still human at the end of the day. And we do all make mistakes. And we learn from our mistakes. And, and like you're saying, if something magically bounced off the wall and cast an orange cast, and you're like, oh, that looks beautiful. That's perfect. Why not say it was a happy accident? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so I think what we'll get on to now is your favourite tool. Um, We asked you to bring your favourite tool. Favourite tool. What's in your pocket? Yeah, I've actually got, I don't know, I want to cheat. Can I do, I'll do a physical and then a digital. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Go on. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm the, okay, so physical, I don't think I'm the first one to do a Leatherman, but a Leatherman for me is like a, my gaffer actually bought this for me for my birthday, for my 30th birthday, he bought me this. Oh, wow. I've got a gaff. Uh, <laughs> my gaffer bought me this Leatherman, and that's really cool. You have no idea how cool it is to have your own Leatherman on set when you can just cut like gels or cut stuff on smaller shoots, um, mm-hmm. or something is, uh, I don't know, something's kind of like jammed on camera, and you just kind of have to like unthread something. So first one is definitely a Leatherman as a favorite tool. And then second one, this one's going to come as no surprise, but a cell phone, an app, all the apps on here. I have so many apps that I use. Um, I have CadRage, which I use a lot. It's a digital viewfinder app. I'm sure you guys have spoken about this before. Um, I have Shot Designer, which I use for blocking. I have Sunseeker. Mm -hmm. Um, I have Full Control, which is for for red. Um, What else do I really use on here? I have the Nanguang, the, 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 the Pavo Light app, which I can use to control. Um, up and down and then a new one i've been using a lot uh, just for fun just to keep me like my mind occupied is cine lenses it's it's a, it's an app that kind of lists every almost every lens in existence and which rental houses carry it and what sensor coverage oh, cool. it is it's really cool and it's a really and it's, uh, i actually yeah i got given a copy of it and it's it's amazing so a cell phone is a really cool thing on set and i love that i can have a digital viewfinder on any moment show the director the frame and say what do you think of this and we pretty much use it as a, as a director's viewfinder um, mm-hmm. it makes communication on set easier. It makes recce's way easier. So I'm a big proponent of using a cell phone for recce's. Can I say no, I your favorite tool is your, your smartphone? 
Yeah, I would say so. It's the best camera you have. And it's, a, you can, I mean, it's easy. You can literally do so much. I can find a sun path. I can show the angle I want to shoot in. Uh, I can mm. upload those photos to, to the cloud and I can share it with everyone else. So it's about communication. You can control lights, everything now. And it can control lights. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I suppose, Rick, how can we, you know, how can people get in touch with you? How can, um, how can gaffers get in touch, directors? And, you know, how can people follow what you're doing? Well, firstly, thanks for having me, guys. This has really been, like, really fun. So um, I'm on Instagram. So it's R-I-C-K-J-O-A-Q-I-M, Rick Joachim. And also my website, www.rickwakim.com. So I'm pretty much active on Instagram. And then I post a lot of my work on Vimeo and my website. And then my email address is there. People can drop me messages. I try to respond to people. I try to reply as much as I can. But, um, yeah, that's mostly where I post my work. Um, I, I guess I would like to also point out that you have recently done a podcast with the Better Cinematographer podcast, right? Yes, with Carter. Carter's an amazing, he's an amazing dude. I love him. Yeah, Carter Hewlett. He's a, actually a really good friend. We, we speak quite often and him and I laugh at a lot of things. And, and his podcast, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to punt it, but he does an amazing Fun. podcast. Yeah, so if you guys want to wonder what is Rick's perspective on camera gear... Okay, because I think I, f I felt like you talked more about cameras in that podcast. So I think this yeah, was definitely. great for you to yeah. discuss lighting a bit more. Um, so yeah, I think you did a great job there. Um, yeah, I think everybody can know everything about you now. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah, you guys. Exactly. Okay, this was so fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I hope I, I stuck to more of the lighting than the camera this time. So no, it was, it was, <laughs> so that's fine. It, it is great, great having you, and um, we appreciate the speed you talk as well. It's literally oh, perfect, sorry. perfect for a podcast. <laughs> no, it's perfect for a podcast. One more question, Rick, for you before we leave it. Um, where do you find gaffers for your jobs? Where do you look for them, and how do you find them? Mm, that's a brilliant question. I think, and I've had this happen a few times. Um, especially when you're in a new city or a new country. I've had this happen in South America. I got to, <clears throat> two years ago, I got to do some car commercials for Kia since we talked about cars earlier. Um, but I got to do some car commercials for Kia. And um, I had actually spoken to a friend of mine who had traveled to Peru and Colombia. And I asked him, who are some gaffers you enjoyed and you worked along with? And because I trust that cinematographer or my friend's opinion, and I know him and I get along, by essence, if him and I get along, I should get along with the gaffer that he suggests. So sometimes it's word of mouth. I'll see who I get along. If, if I get along with someone, I'll ask them who they enjoy in their crew. And mm -hmm. sometimes sometimes I've taken risks and I've, reg I've regretted taking risks. Sometimes I'll love someone's work, but I won't enjoy their work ethic or I won't enjoy how they are on set and how they behave or misbehave. And it's it goes from things as varied as, I don't know, sex, like sexual harassment comments. I don't know, those little things around camera you have to, you have to squash very quickly or it's people being cheeky back to you and being disrespectful. Um, I try to just get people who play well. So I've always tried to ask possible friends and, and, and other DOPs who they suggest for those. It's mainly word something. of mouth. Yeah, definitely word of mouth. Do you, do you use social media for this? Uh, definitely, definitely. I, I often will post on Facebook or Instagram. I'm looking for a gaffer for a short film. There's not, there's not much money or we have a bit of bu uh, budget for, we can pay you for, for your gear. We can pay you for yourself for the day, but we can't pay for this or whatever. I often do those things when it's, when it's passion projects and I'll reach out. I mean, I, I've started using a lot of those London groups. There's a lot of those Facebook groups, um, mm -hmm. those London filmmaking groups. And, and I'll always reach out there as well. And, um, 
I think you need to. And actually, following on from that, what would stand out? You know, if if we're talking about the lighting technicians who are listening to this, what are they? What can they say? What they can they reply to that post, which is really going to get them to stand out to you, maybe? I think that's a great question, Morgan. I think for me, it's it's can they? I like to see what people have done. There's no point saying you've done 20 films or you've done like 20 like long form narrative series, but you can't show me what you've done. So if someone can just send me a link to something they've done and they go, I was the the gaff on this, or I was the best boy of the spark on this. Um, I, I would definitely love to see that. So I love examples of work for me. It mm -hmm. helps a lot, especially in this day and age. I feel like everyone should at least know where to find their work. If someone asks you. Um, and is that vi visual, visual yeah. examples or yeah, just like I a CV? I think visual examples for me sells me because if I can look at it and go, wow, that looks brilliant, then I know they can take direction and they'll be keen. Like he or she will be able to understand when I say I'd like single source just coming through the room or if I'd like something to, to maybe we're going to rig a LED like light mat to top and they'll understand what I mean by top light and we skirt it off. There's all those things like if you can if you can see what someone's done in their work, you understand they'll speak the same language as you. And that's so would you I don't, I don't, yeah. Would you say that it's important for lighting technicians slash gaffers to have almost a showreel or a social media that shows their kind of experience with types of stuff they've done. So would you say mm. it's important for a gaffer to have an Instagram account, for example? Yeah. I think Instagram, yes. And I think those kind of things and, and having copies. I think a showreel is a bit overkill. I think I think I've never mm -hmm. seen a lighting showreel. It'd be cool to see one. Um, but like I think having i'm noticing a lot of gaffers especially in south africa there's a lot of gaffers who have instagrams and they show they post a lot of bts which i love seeing i love seeing their lighting setups and that actually is a, a talking point for us a lot they'll show mm -hmm. how they had a cherry picker with four s60 like sky panels hanging downwards and they'll they'll kind of boom it over or they'll show like frame grabs from movies they've worked on and i'll be like oh you worked on that commercial or wow you worked on that film that was brilliant and mm -hmm. like that makes me as a cinematographer want to work with them so i think instagram is, is powerful for, for gaffers I don't think a showreel and I don't think you need to have all the stuff you've shot, but it would be cool to say, I worked on the new Doctor Who episode, check out the lighting I did on this and you just send them a snippet or a link. I think it's cool. Yes. To have that. Okay, cool. Well, that's, I think that's a really good piece. That's a good insight because I think from the side of the cinematographer, I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. Mm. I, I think if I could just end that, maybe also one more thing is I don't think like gaffers are sometimes so overlooked and and i don't personally i don't want just the gaffer who's just another soldier i don't want someone who just follows orders sometimes you do yes you want them to to listen to what is the reason why you're going for a look but i, I do want to have a collaborator i want to have someone i can talk to and mm. when the odds are against us and i'm like guys we have to we've got like an hour until the sun's going down we've got a lot to still shoot let's move as quick as we can let's try be smart let's Let's think how we can set up for the next scene or whatever. But I want to have someone who's on my side. I don't want to have someone who's going to drag their feet or complain or, or be negative. I want to have someone who's going to be like, actually, we could do this and do this. Let's, let's do this and then we do this or whatever. I want to have someone who has solutions as well. Thanks for watching, guys. Please like and subscribe. Check us out on Instagram and we hope to see you in the next one. The Tungsten Show